Amen, amen. Smile at somebody as you grab a seat today. We're so glad you're in church. So glad you're here. Thank you, Brian, so much. Welcome to church. Welcome to Sunday morning church. We're glad you're here. Last week, we, um, I think we started a series last week. I don't even know. I just kind of, we just kind of shared. I think God's doing something with it called I'm Starving. How many were here last week? Anybody here last week at church? Hopefully you watched it. If you weren't watching online, you watched it on demand, on YouTube, on Facebook. We, it was called uh, I'm Starving or Starvation. Jesus likened the word of God to food. He said, man cannot live by bread alone. Bread's not really my thing. Um, Swedish berries, come on, somebody. Fuzzy peaches. I remember when I was 20, my, mo my mom for my birthday said, what do you want for your birthday? I'm like, I just want some fuzzy peaches. She went out and bought a basket of peaches. Um, she, she didn't understand what I meant. I needed something more unhealthy than that. I don't, man cannot live by fuzzy peaches or produce or bread, carbs or meat or but by, by, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus likened it to, to reading his word, to hearing from him as food. And we talked about that so many people are starving. We went through what starving looks like in the natural, but it also ties into your spiritual. That when you're starving, when you go a long time without food, things start to happen. You start to get faint and dizzy. And so many of us in our church, I'm not talking about in our church, you're faint in your faith. You're weak in your faith. You're dizzy. You, you, you can't keep direction. You can't keep balance. And others of us, it's a heart condition. They say when you're starving, high blood pressure and heart problems start to happen. And so many people's hearts are in trouble. There's no hope in your heart. The Bible says without hope, uh, uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And we, we start to get heart spiritual problems. We don't love people like we used to. We get offended easy. That Things that used to move us emotionally, now we get numb. And I can't help but think maybe it's because of starvation. It says you start to withdraw from people when you actually go through starvation. We see that happening to people. We used to gather together and people just withdraw and they need more me time. Can I encourage you, reading the word of God will feed you in a way like nothing else. You need to eat daily, but you need to eat daily. Today, uh, in this series, which I don't know if it's two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, we're going to part two today. I want to put this title up somewhere. Take notes in church. Eat something. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to eat something. We're going to eat something today. Let me pray one more time. God, thank you for this morning. I pray, Father, as we share your word, that it would not return empty or void or powerless. That, God, we will dedicate this space not to preaching opinion or politics, but, God, we preach your word. Your word changes lives. And, God, your word feeds us. We pray today, Father, as you lay out a banqueting table from your word, that we would be nourished. That we would be stronger in our spirit than when we walked in. We were more passionate about you, Jesus, and more filled with your spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, everybody said. My mother has this habit, and if you've seen her on the front door, she has no personal boundaries. <laughs> If you're not laughing, it's because you don't know my mother. Uh, my, my mother is the beautiful woman on the front door, and she, she hugs everybody. She hugs everybody. But my mom had this habit when I started leaving home. Uh, there's a period of my life of four years where I was on the mission field uh, between different parts of the world for three or four months at a time. And whenever she would see me or if I started um, uh, just being uh, around more when we, I moved out, when I got married, when she sees me, she comes up and hugs me, and she grabs my waist, and she feels my ribs. And then she says, are you eating? It's funny, when she hugs me now, she doesn't ask that because it's obvious that I'm eating. But she, 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 she hugs me and she grabs my ribs and she looks me in the eye and she goes, are you eating? And she has a way of feeling to make sure that I'm putting weight on because she's concerned about me. It's amazing when she says that, there comes a concern knowing, Mike, you're so busy. You're so busy with what you're doing. You need to eat. Are you eating anything? 
You know, last week was not just a sermon, and I don't say that because I'm the preacher, because it is the word of God. And I don't know if any of you, how many of you, all of you, some of you actually implemented what you heard last week. If we're not careful, this will just be a club or a committee or an event that we come to and go, that was a great show. I have a friend who runs a church in Hollywood, and he'll have people come into his church, and and they'll say, that was a great performance. I need you to know, we're in a theater, but this is not theatrics. We actually believe that preaching of the word of God changes lives. And when we we preach, and our pastoral team, when we preach, when we lead worship, we're not just trying to fill up your time. We actually believe change is possible. Change is expected. Did you do anything with last week talking about the word of God, or are you still starving? Today, we, we want to encourage you. You're so busy. And if we could hug into you today, if we could lean in spiritually and hug you, would we find that you're starving or are you eating? Are you still feeling faint? Here's how you can tell practically. If, if, if worship doesn't flow naturally out of you, you're probably not eating. If you don't have the strength, if you're coming in going, I just don't have it, I'm just waiting for the right song that maybe just tickles my emotions. If I'm waiting for the right analogy that maybe gets me into it, maybe it's because you don't have enough energy to flow. I know this, that when you are full of natural food, your energy increases. Spiritual, I believe we are called to be thermostats, not thermometers. When you are full of the presence of God, the word of God, you don't read the temperature, you set the temperature. And so many Christians are thermometers. They just come in and go, that was a hot service. That was a cold service. That was a great room. That was a tough room. And church was awesome today. I wasn't really feeling it today. I looked at my wife today. I said, we're going to wrestle this room with the Holy Spirit. And she looked at me as five foot two and a quarter that she is with fire in her eyes going, come on. I'm like, right. Because she, uh, she is a thermostat, not a thermometer. We will turn the temperature up in our home. Come on, somebody. I got any thermometers in this room? I got any thermostats in this room that will change the temperature in the room? Listen, you know, if you don't have worship in your heart, maybe you're starving. If you can't love someone when they walk in, you're not overwhelmed with how can I serve them? How can I help them? How can I, how can I reach them? How can I connect with them? When you hear what God is doing on this stage, what we just celebrated, if there's not a praise in your heart, there might not be food in your spirit. I'm questioning, are you starving? So today, in light of last week, I want to serve a five-course meal just to help you today because some of you haven't eaten since last week and you are starving. Others of you have eaten all week. I want to go through the five chapters that we read this week. We're in a, we're in a, as a church, we're doing one and done, just one chapter of Acts every day of June. So I thought, as I was flying home um, two nights ago, I thought, God, what do you want to do this Sunday? And he said, I want you to go through and pull out one thing from the five chapters that we read on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and just start serving courses. I'm going to give you a five course. There may be dessert. There may not be. We'll see what happens time-wise. But I'm going to serve you five courses today very quickly that I believe is going to fill your spirit, that's going to encourage you, energize you, and give you hope today. Everybody said amen. Acts chapter 5, that was Monday. We read, if you have your Bible, can I encourage you to open your Bible? Something about your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have free ones out in the lobby. You can take it. We bought it with your money. So just take it. And um, people are flying through those Bibles. You'll see it on the screen behind me, too. Um, but we want to encourage you. Acts chapter 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. I'm going to read verse 1 to 10. Ananias and Sapphira. That's how my chapter is titled. It says, there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. That's a key part of this story. He sold the property, and he brought a part of the money, but he claimed it was all of the money. 
with his wife's consent. Smart man right there. But he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You have lied to the Holy Spirit, and you have kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Make note, the sin wasn't keeping some of the money. God doesn't need your money. But when the problem with Ananias and Sapphira is they were saying they wanted to look good in front of men, so they said, we sold this property, and we're giving it all to the church. We're giving it all to God, and they lied. See, they were more consumed with the image that they put forth before men than the purity before God. There's no problem with them keeping money. There's no problem with them keeping all the money. But the lying in their heart was they wanted to look right, not be right. See, when your holiness is only public and not private, that's not holiness. Um, that's, trying, that's pride. That's trying to be influential. But God wants us to have character on the inside, men and women of character. It says, you weren't lying to us, but to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell on the floor and died. How many are already encouraged so far? How many are not enjoying this first course? Going, mm, it's a little bitter, you know. Mm, sweet or savory? I'm not quite sure which one this is. Everyone who heard about this was terrified, as you would. Then some of the young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. Now, that was a service right there. That's where the first modesty blanket happened in a Pentecostal church right there. If you didn't get that, you grew up Baptist. Okay, that's all right. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, what was the price uh, you and your husband received for the land? She replied, the whole price that you have, that's what we paid for the land. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they'll carry you out too. Instantly she fell to the floor and died. And the young men came and saw that she was dead, and they carried her out and buried her next to her husband. Great fear filled the entire church and everyone who heard it, what had happened. Here's how you know you're a real Nova Scotian, whether you've grown up here your whole life or been here for a month, if you can finish this sentence. When you go to Peggy's Cove, you never go stand on the... Black rocks. That's how you know. Whether you've been living here for three weeks or 30 years, you never stand on the black rocks at Peggy's Cove. You can always spot someone who's a tourist because they go down on the black rocks. Man, we've been sitting there and thinking, Who, look at these fools. They don't even know. Even on a calm day, if you're from Nova Scotia, you never stand on the Why? Because we know the ocean. We've heard the stories, we've seen the tales, man, we've been around long enough that the ocean is unpredictable. The ocean is powerful. You cannot underestimate the ocean. Listen, we enjoy the ocean. We swim in the ocean, we sail in the ocean, we fish in the ocean. We understand that it gives life and rest. But we also, my grandfather was a lobster fisherman in Newfoundland. I've grown up around the ocean my whole life. I've understood as beautiful as it is, as restful as it is, as recharging as it is, as filling as it is with seafood, we understand the power of the ocean. This verse I take away from this is a fear of the Lord or a respect of the Lord. And what happens is when you disrespect the ocean, when you underestimate the ocean, you realize you could feel the weight of the ocean. Make no mistake, even in scripture, God is love, God is truth, God is powerful and full of grace. But here we have a couple who disrespected God. They underestimated God. They thought they could tame God. They thought they could fool God. They thought they could mock God. One thing I've learned is you cannot tame the ocean. You cannot control the ocean. When high tides and, and surges come in, we realize we respect the power of 
the ocean. In Acts chapter 5, we're reminded today that God will not be mocked. God will correct us. God will direct us. He'll refresh us and bless us, but he is not a pet that we tame. He is not something we control. He is mighty and holy and powerful, and he's bigger than you think he is, and God is good, but if we mock him, if we underestimate him, we will feel the weight of God. And we respect him, the fear of the Lord. A great way to translate that is the respect for the Lord. I do not fear the ocean, but I respect the ocean. Can I encourage you to say, God is not a pet. And, and, and you need to know that when God corrects you, um, it's not hate. And it's not abuse. And sometimes in this, in this culture, we think if someone disagrees with you, it's hate. If someone corrects you, it's abuse. No, 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 no. God will correct us. Some of you are like, I'm ready, for, I'm ready for course number two. I don't know if I like that one. But that's what I took from that chapter. Oh, God, I don't want to mock you. I don't want to stand in public and say that I'm living a certain way if I'm not privately. God, I don't want to say one thing with my mouth and do it differently with my life. Oh, God, that I would not mock you, think I can tame you. God, forgive us for our sin. Help us, lead us into righteousness. Help us where we're weak. And everybody said, Amen. chapter 6, course number 2. This was on Tuesday this week. I'm going to read verses 1 to 5. I don't know what you took out of the chapter. This is what I took out of the chapter. Chapter 6, verse 1. As the believers rapidly multiplied, the death in church didn't keep people away from church. I think that would have, by the way. If you, some people, two people died in a service because God moved. I have a feeling online audience would increase that week. You know, <laughs> just saying. Um, people were dying to get to church, literally. Okay. Um, can you imagine singing Graves to Gardens after that service? Uh, so good. <laughs> Verse 1. As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Some things never changed. The Greek-speaking uh, believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12, the apostles, called a meeting of all believers. I have underlined in my Bible, all believers. They loved Jesus. They knew Jesus. And said, we, the apostles, should spend our time teaching the word and not running a food program. So brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit of wisdom. And we'll give them the responsibility that we, the apostles, can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. So everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. I just want to remind you from that, as I read that, all the believers came together for a meeting. That tells me they believed in Jesus. That means they had given their life to Jesus. They believed he was uh, uh, the son of God, died on a cross, rose from the grave, ascended to the heaven, died for their sins, forgave them for their past. Because of Jesus, they knew they were right with God and had a place in heaven. They were believers in Jesus. Then the apostles said, so we're all believers. All right, go find seven that are full of the Holy Spirit, which tells me you can believe in Jesus and not be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. They picked these men to serve tables, become waiters. Here's my takeaway. If they needed the Holy Spirit to become waiters in their community, how much more do we need the presence of God to fulfill the calling on our lives? Ma'am, you're running that business. You need the Spirit of God in your life. Sir, as a father, you need the Spirit of God in your life. Young adults, for the influence and the pressures that you're navigating, you need the Spirit of God in your life. As a pastor, and, and my wife and me, as we lead this church, as, as lead pastors, we need the Spirit of God in our life. If Stephen needed the Spirit of God to wait tables, how much more in these dark, challenging days do we need the Spirit of God? Church, you love Jesus. You're following Jesus. But our prayer in this season is come Holy Spirit. We need more of your spirit. I don't doubt my love for God. But what I'm asking for is more of the power of God. I need his spirit in my life. Because if they need to wait tables, I need it to follow the plan of God. And everybody said? 
I like that serving. Did you guys like that course? It was fantastic. Today, at the end of our service, we're going to make room today, and we're going to, we have a couple on our prayer team that have been identified. And as we worship at the end today, we're going to just keep praying for you. If you have a need, if you want to be full of the Holy Spirit, if you want more of God in your life, we're going to just give ourselves some space today just to pray for a few minutes. So plan now. Say, God, I just need more of your spirit. If he needed to wait tables, how much more do I need it to lead my kids, my teenagers, my business, uh, my spouse, uh, my relationships, my calling in this season? Come, Holy Spirit. Third course, chapter 7 of Acts. For me, I want to read what stepped up to me was in verse 55. It's amazing, Stephen, who went from being a waiter of serving, went to serving notice. He went from serving tables to serving notice. It's amazing what happens is he starts off as serving food, and and he gets accused uh, of blasphemy. They made up lies about him. You read it in chapter 7. They bring him before the authorities, and now he's he's put before them, and they're getting angry at him. They're, They're starting to accuse him. His life is on the line. And it's interesting, in this passage, he went from serving tables to serving notice. Be careful when you serve God. He'll promote you. Be careful when you serve God. He'll use you to reach cities and nations. Be careful. It starts with serving God. I'm always nervous when someone wants a microphone on a stage. Show me someone with a broom in their hand or someone wants to serve. That's who God wants to promote. Here, Stephen started waiting tables and God goes, no, no, you're serving tables, but now you're going to serve notice that I am God and I have a way. We pick it up here in verse 55. It says this, so the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. So they shook their fists in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of God's right hand. Dad joke incoming. Get ready. Did you know that God's left-handed? He has to be because Jesus is sitting on his right hand. Thank you for those moans. I take that as a compliment. You know, it says in Scripture that Jesus is sitting on God's right hand. The only time it says differently is in here, Acts chapter 7. It says that Jesus stood up. uh, Here we have Stephen who was waiting tables, and now he gets brought before the head of the the synagogue and and the religious leaders, and he starts to preach. And they get so mad here, they actually take him outside the city and they stone him to death. And as he's dying, he looks up to heaven, and he says, I see Jesus standing beside God the Father. And they got more angry. He said, God, forgive them for what they're about to do. And they stone him to death as he gazed in heaven and looked Jesus in the eye and felt the pleasure of God. It's the only time in the New Testament we see Jesus standing was for the martyr, for the, for the waiter, for the servant that was Stephen. I'm reminded of a story years ago of this missionary who spent his whole life overseas. He lived all through his 20s and 30s and 40s, and now after, after 50, 60 years of serving in a foreign nation, he wrote home a letter to his denomination, to the churches that he served. After years of serving, he said, I'm coming home. I'm retiring. He's now in his 70s, and he was retiring from the mission field to come back into the port of New York City for his last remaining years of his life. Over 50 years, he gave away his life to local tribes and cities and villages, learning from them and them learning from him. And he, he, he gave up so much, but saw God do so much in his life. The story goes, as I've heard it, that he even lost a, a child in childbirth because of the conditions. He actually, in the later years, lost his wife to malaria, and he'd given up so much. But he still said God was so good, and he gave his life serving, writing home letters 
every month talking what God was doing in the mission. He saw hundreds, if not thousands, come to the Lord. Churches were raised up. Orphanages were established. People were fed. And he'd given his life away to the kingdom of God. And then he said, it's time for me to retire in his 70s. He wrote a letter, so I'll be coming home on this date, on this, on this, on this ship, coming into New York Harbor. The story goes, this man made the journey by train to the coast of where he was serving and eventually made it onto a ship. And over a month, he traveled across the Atlantic as he pulled into New York Harbor and went down the East River and started to dock, uh, it says that he came in. All of a sudden, he looked on the pier, and there were crowds of people cheering. His heart overwhelmed with emotion and gratitude, feeling much of his life alone on the mission field, realizing the sacrifice. His heart was overwhelmed with the gratitude. He felt there was a marching band, and people were cheering and celebrating. As the, as the, as the boat pulled up onto the dock, and he was overwhelmed with emotion, all of a sudden, he realized they weren't cheering for him. On this ship, there was a movie star of the day. And people had heard he was coming from the port of London and coming from, the, from, from Liverpool and came over. And, and as the ship realized, he realized at this moment they weren't cheering for him. They were cheering for this man who had made a few movies that people loved. And the band was for him and the, the signs were for him and the, the girls were cheering for him and the guys were cheering for him. And this movie star comes down the walkway and goes off and the crowd follows him into the streets of Manhattan. And he was left there by himself. This man hung his head now frail, his body beaten down by the work he had done for 50 years. His, from prayer, his knees were sore. His back was weak from years of serving and struggling, but his heart was strong. But in that moment, he was saddened and goes, no one came to see me. I thought I gave my life away. I thought I did something. I thought there'd be some recognition. I thought someone would come and thank me. And with this little piece of luggage, walked down the stairs. And as he stood on the bottom with no one there to see him, he said, God, I thought someone would welcome me home. And in his heart, he heard the voice of God going, son, you're not home yet. I want to remind you today, I want to remind you today that Stephen lived for an audience of one. Oh, to have Jesus stand for the dedication of our lives. In this world of social media and influence and online, if we're not careful, we can live for the permission and the applause of others. We can live for how many people were in church today, how many people saw my post today, how many people applauded my, my, my serving or my dedication or my giving. If we're not careful, we'll be waiting for people to applaud our sacrifice when Stephen in that moment only cared for an audience of one. His cry wasn't, where are the apostles? If they were waiting tables, this would have been them. It wasn't, where are the crowds? It wasn't, where are my parents? It was, oh, I see Jesus, and that he is pleased with me, that he is standing, applauding for my life. I'm reminded from this course, reminded from this chapter to live for an audience of one. I'm thankful for a church we have. I'm thankful for influence. I'm thankful for friends. But, oh, God, would you help us live for an audience of one? Because, church, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. This life is but a vapor. There's more to it than what we see. You are not home yet. There's more to the story. Acts chapter 8, the next course in this meal, as God was feeding us this week through his word, is verse 1. It says Saul was one of the witnesses. Saul was a, a, a religious leader that was killing Christians. It says he was killing men and women, dragging them out into the street and seeing them stoned. In verse 1, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem and all the believers, um, except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. 
reminded that serving Jesus will change the world. I'm also reminded that a setback was actually a setup. It's interesting, as you read that, it says that because of the persecution, they were, the religious leaders of the day were so fired up by the death of Stephen, it was open season on Christians. Open season. They weren't called Christians yet until I believe it was it's chapter 11. is the first time they were called Christians in Antioch. But these believers of Jesus, they were so stirred up, it became open season on believers of Jesus. And it says from that moment on in verse 1, persecution spread, and the Christians, the believers, scattered. But history tells us because of that scattering, the good news of the gospel spread. That if it wasn't for that, it would have stayed in Jerusalem trying to build one big church in one big moment. But because of persecution, a moment turned into a movement. History tells us that the catalyst, the the, the spark for revival was that persecution. Because you refuse to give what doesn't cost you something. And people started to dig in going, I believe in this and Jesus saved my life. And as they spread for their, uh, fear for their lives, as they went, you got to know why we're here. It's because Jesus. Why are they running after you? Because of Jesus. Listen, let me heal you. Let me bless you. Let me help you. And the gospel started to spread. What was meant as a setback actually was a setup for God to show off. And I'm encouraged in your life. Listen, the book is greater than the chapter. And some of you are in a chapter right now that you want to speed read through. Your relationships, your life, your finances, what you're going through. I'm reminded today that there is more to the story. Just keep going. Someone said if you're going through hell, just keep going. Listen, you might be in a chapter right now that is rough. This chapter is about persecution. This chapter is hard. This chapter is one of trial. But we know how the story ends. The gospel spreads. And we are here today. Because men and women spread and just didn't care about their city. They said, we've got to go. As they went, the gospel spread. What was a setback to some became a setup for God to show off his goodness. Church, I don't know what you're going through today, but it might be a setback. Last few weeks in our city have been a setback. It's been hard, but God will use it if we are willing to help somebody. God will use it. What was a setback in your life? What was a trial in your life? Look what God will do through your life. It was a setback. Oh, but it was a setup for God to show off. Church, keep going. Keep going. The book is greater than the chapter. 2023 might be a tough chapter, but oh, God has a plan for your life. Chapter 9. Next course. 9, chapter chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. Saul. Saul was urging threats with every breath and was eager to kill God's, uh, the Lord's followers. It goes on that he was going from place to place trying to kill people. It says in verse 3, as he was approaching Damascus on, on this mission to kill Christians, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He replied. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go to the city. You'll be told what to do. Suddenly, the verse I have underlined right there is verse 3, suddenly. I just want to encourage you, church, I believe in the suddenlies of heaven. God is more uh, slow cooker than microwave. God is more crock pot. Come on. God, is, God takes a while. God likes to do the long haul. He just takes his time. But I do believe in the suddenlies of heaven. You need to know that we are believing for the long haul and legacy and God will do it over your lifetime. But I am stirred up in that moment. There are people that you think are far from God, people that are persecuting, people that are hateful, people that are far and that are making it tough in your life, in the church's life. You need to know this and God will step in in a moment. Won't he do it? 
I believe physical healings can happen in a suddenly. I believe miracles can happen in a suddenly. The age of miracles is coming back. There's a power in the church coming. I believe in the suddenlies of God. It might be at an addiction center. It might be on your knees. It might be a healing in your body. Church, you need to stir your faith. God can do miracles in your life. I believe in the suddenlies. And pray in faith, believing God can do it. All right, dessert. Chapter 9, I'm going to give you one more thing before we're done today. Chapter 9, verse 31. Verse 31. The church then had peace throughout Judea after persecution. Saul went from being Saul to Paul. I think it's in 13 he gets called Paul for the first time. Becoming one of the greatest preachers and apostles and church builders in history. Because of a suddenly with Jesus, he went from killing Christians to being a Christian to raising Christians. And it says because of that one suddenly, peace came throughout the area. What was a setback became a setup for God to show off. The least likely to be saved by God became a champion of the church. Verse 31, the church then had peace through Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Last thing I want to give, this is just dessert. This is the, this is, this, this is the cheesecake right now. This is the creme brulee. This is whatever your dessert of choice is. It says the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. You know what that word means? It means to loan courage. It means to loan courage. When someone encourages you, they take from their well of courage, and if you need it, they give it to you. I had people encourage me this week. I just left going. I feel stronger. You need to know the Holy Spirit is an encourager. No matter what you're going through today, let courage fill your heart today. Let the whole, when you read his word and we welcome his Holy Spirit, something will start to happen. When you read this Bible, something changes. I'm thankful for the encouragement of his word. This week on, on, on Friday morning, I was discouraged. Going through a situation, one of our team members was in the hospital. We were in emergency with them. I was discouraged. I was feeling some anxiety and some, and, and some pressure. And Nancy calls me and she says, hey, you read, did you read your Bible today? And I'm like, don't convict me, Holy Spirit. She said, oh, Mike, let me just start quoting scripture, reading scripture to me. And I opened my Bible to what she was talking about. And I read in Romans. Oh, I talked about renewing of your mind. I started to read the word of God, and I felt courage fill my heart. I want to encourage you today. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you with courage. The Bible says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Oh, let courage fill your heart today. That you may be tired, you may be worn down, but oh, won't he do it? He will give you rest today. You may think my schedule will not change. I'm going through so much. Let rest fill your heart today. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? All those that wait on the Lord will be renewed with strength. Let courage fill your heart today. When you read his word and fill his spirit, he'll take courage from heaven and fill it through your life. You don't have to be fearful today. You don't have to be anxious today. You don't have to be depressed today. You don't have to be lonely today. I believe there's an encouragement from the Holy Spirit to fill you where you need it. You can walk out of here for the assignment on your life full of respect for God, love of God, the fear of God, and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and numbers will start to grow. There's influence on your life. The church is alive and well because we fear God and we are encouraged by the Holy Spirit and together God will have his way. Can everybody say, come on, stand to your feet today. I want to encourage you. We're going to pray. We're going to worship for a few minutes. Today, if you say, Mike, I, I just need some encouragement. Two things for you. Number one, we're going to pray for you. Secondly, go read your Bible. Don't wait till next Sunday to eat. I've asked the prayer team, a couple of the prayer team to come forward. They're coming forward now to make this one available as we're going to pray for you. Can I encourage you? Come for prayer if you need prayer today. Secondly, read your Bible. There's a buffet just waiting for you to dig into. One chapter a day of Acts. 
as we read chapter 11 today, chapter 12 tomorrow, I believe the very presence of God is going to fill your life. Fear the Lord and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, we're going to worship. If you want prayer today, one of our designated prayer teams has a badge on, a banner on. You'll see them in these down here. Would you come for prayer? Let us encourage you. Let the Holy Spirit fill you today with hope and joy and peace for the assignment on your life. Amen. Come on, let's worship together.
Respond to him with your own song, in your own voice, with your own words. Come on, church, responding to the meal we just had. Let us join with all of 